Welcome to the Clear Admit MBA Admissions Podcast. I'm Graham Richmond, and this is your Wiretaps for Monday, February 28th, 2022. I'm joined by Alex Brown from Cornwall, England. Alex, how are things going? Well, for me personally, things are going um, quite fine, Graham, but clearly we're in a lot of trouble right now. Yeah, I know um, Ukraine's kind of on everybody's mind, uh, at least as we're recording this on uh, the Thursday prior. So, yeah, it's uh, it's a very um, kind of sad development, at least from where I sit. Yeah. I guess maybe <laughs> there may be some people who don't think that, like maybe uh, Vladimir Putin, but he's, <laughs> um, but I'm not on that side of it. So, yeah, this is uh, sad. Yeah, yeah. So. Yeah, I mean, just not that this podcast is about this situation, but we should certainly acknowledge that this is a very very scary time for everybody. Yeah, agreed. So I guess on a lighter or maybe more positive note, how are things going in the MBA admissions world? Because I know people are interviewing. Have all schools issued their interview invitations or is there still some stuff waiting here? That really depends what happens on Thursday and Friday of last week (laughs) because we don't know that just yet, but we're obviously waiting for Sloan as the last big school to release their interview invites. I suspect... They will have just done it the back end of last week. Yeah, I think you're right. With, as, as you said, we're recording this on earlier on Thursday. Um, but if not for sure this upcoming week, um, they are traditionally the last to do this. Um, and I think they, you know, they have good reasons for, for doing that. But, but yeah, we're still waiting on Sloan. And then there are other programs that will still be sort of trickling out interview invites. So it's not all doom and gloom if you haven't got invites at some of these programs. But certainly we're getting more toward the end of the invite season. We're certainly in the thick of the actual interviewing season. I think Wharton TBDs are, st- are already underway or kicking off and so on and so forth. So, yeah, so yeah it's all about interviewing at this point, Graham. Yeah, and we have, um, for those of you interviewing at Wharton, we have a podcast that we recorded um, back in round one that explains this year's TBD prompt um, and goes over everything you you know need to know to excel in that interview. Did we do that? I thought we did. <laughs> yeah, God, I tell you what, my my brain is getting garbled. I know. I, mean, I, can't, I can't remember what I did yesterday. <laughs> I mean, I would thought we had until now yeah. you're saying it, but I, yeah. yeah. And we also, there's a blog post, I think, where we explained the TBD and all that stuff. So yeah, go back and listen to that. I think we even have a general podcast that we did many moons ago, just about TBDs in general and like what you'd want to think about. And for those of you tuning in who didn't apply to Wharton, the TBD stands for team-based discussion. They don't really have a one-on-one interview, at least not in the traditional sense. They have this sort of team activity um, or discussion. And so it's a it's a real, um, yeah, it's just a totally different experience. And I would say... Just you quick, know, on that note, Graham, sorry to interrupt. Yeah, go ahead. There yeah. is a follow-on one-to-one with one of the hosts of the team-based discussion. So there, there is a little bit of an opportunity to say your sort of why MBA, why Wharton and that kind of stuff. Yeah, you get about 10 minutes or so at the end. Yeah, that's fair. Yeah. So um, the other thing I was going to just mention is there are schools that, you know, like you said, that trickle out interview invitations. You know, Yale is one of them. I mean, there are many out there that do it that way. I think, um, you know, Berkeley, Stern, maybe Stanford, there are a handful that do it this way. And they, they have been known to trickle them out right up to the sort of decision date. Although, frankly, if you get one very late, sometimes it means you're, you know, you might get an interview, but then ultimately land on a wait list or something. So we, we will see. Um, but yeah, whole, you know, kind of hang in there, everyone. And I, I would say, Definitely practice for your interviews. If you haven't interviewed yet, practice makes perfect. You don't want to be a robot or, you know, act like, you know, look like you're 
reciting from a set of lines, but it can be really helpful to practice with friends, family, whoever's willing to listen, because you'll just perform all the better if you've kind of had some time to work on what you want to say and, and yeah, just become very fluid with your responses. So best of luck to anyone who's still interviewing. Alex, I did want to mention that we have kicked off a new series, or not a new series, I guess the the 2022 version of a series on our website, which is Real Humans of MBA Alumni. And we launched the first two um, articles in that series last week, I guess. So the first one was a gentleman from uh, Chicago Booth who graduated in 2020 and now works at Bain. And this guy talks all about, you know, how he landed the job at Bain, what he thinks of it, et cetera, the recruiting process. So very interesting stuff. And we also have a Harvard grad who is a class of 21 who's working at Amazon. So we do this series because we think that our listeners and and site readers are keen to understand, like, what are those initial jobs like post-MBA? How did people set themselves up to get those jobs? And, you know, we try to focus on the companies and roles that people are interested in. So, you know, the first couple here, we got Bain and Amazon. I'm sure there'll be others from, uh, you know, very well-known firms as we have, like, literally dozens of these things lined up and, and on their way out. So that's kind of fun that we're back in, in that season again. Yeah, yeah, no, absolutely brilliant. And Booth Bain, HBS, Amazon, four great brand names in the MBA mission space. Yeah, absolutely. And then the other thing is, and I finally, I, I caved in and I asked uh, Lauren on our team, who is our editor-in-chief, I asked her, like, what's the deal with the real humans of MBA students? Because I saw we launched one with Wharton. And I can't believe, like, a month ago, I was saying, oh, we're just about done with this series, and we hadn't even done Wharton yet, which is my alma mater, so, um, you know, shame on me. But Wharton came out last week, and she said there's still, like, one or two more left. So that's the story on the real humans, uh, MBA students-type pieces that we do. So there's still a little bit more to come there. And then the other big news in our space, Alex, that I know you saw is that Stanford GSB has joined the consortium. Uh, and, and so I don't know if you want to comment on that. That's kind of an interesting development. I think it's huge. I mean, hats off to the consortium for getting Stanford into the fold, because to me, they got Columbia in the fold last last season um, or, or, you know, several months ago, whenever that was. Now Stanford you know, Stanford right at the top of the heap because prior to Columbia joining, they hadn't gotten any of the real big hitters within the consortium with respect to, you know, M7 programs. Now they've got Columbia and Stanford, I can see other M7 programs um, um, joining and that only has to help the consortium, its mission and, and so on and so forth. So I think it's absolutely brilliant, quite honestly, Graham. Yeah, and just to rewind a second, I mean, the consortium basically allows uh, MBA applicants to apply to a group of schools, any schools that belong to the consortium, in kind of one fell swoop, and you list your preferences, and it's kind of a shortened application process. I believe it's free as well, if memory serves, and it, it you know, the, the consortium itself, their, their sort of mission is to help promote underrepresented minorities in management. I believe not only getting into school, but also, you know, with the hopes that those leaders go on to, you know, senior roles in companies and corporations. So, so it's a really great, um, uh, you know, kind of group or a nonprofit. And, and I think you're right. It's, it seems like, and I, I want to say, I just want to call us kind of put, put things on the table here. I think that the reason that Columbia and Stanford have finally come on board, 
maybe a little bit related to the social justice movement in the U.S. Like, I think people are kind of, you know, finally saying, you know what, we've got to put our money where our mouth is and let's let's get behind these organizations that are really helping. So, you know, for some reason, many of the top schools had previously not been in the consortium, but I think the chips are going to um, all fall into line now. And I, I bet you that you'll see some other M7 schools joining the consortium down the road. That, that would be my prediction. We agree on that. Fantastic. <laughs> yeah. Uh, last thing to cover before we get into the wiretaps, and, and we did get a couple of fun emails that I wanted to go over. But the last big news item is that Carnegie Mellon Tepper has issued their employment report for the class of 21. And so again, as we've been doing over the last several weeks, we'll just go over some of the key facts and figures. They had a median salary for their graduates of $134,000, median signing bonus of $25,000, and 96% had offers within three months of graduation. That's that magic number that we seem to see pretty much across the board at top schools. Alex, um, any thoughts or where do you want me to go with, you know, I've got the industry placements and I've got the regions. What are you curious to know? Well, why don't you do the region first? And then I know you had a really good data point on the industry placement too. Yeah. So with regions, we've got um, 29% of Tepper grads landing in the Northeast. And then this was a bit of a surprise to me, 27% landing on the West Coast. And then Mid-Atlantic, 17%. Midwest, 14%, Southwest, 9%, and South, 3%. So those are the kind of regional placements. Nice spread there, I would argue, you know, pretty pretty impressive, you know, nice balance. Like they really have some folks going in all directions, really. I, I agree with that. I mean, at the end of the day, Graham, some of these programs that are in less attractive um, regions in terms of there aren't that many top MBA pl- employers on their doorstep. Mm-hmm. They generally are able to show a really good sort of regional diversity in terms of their placement. So I'm thinking of some of the programs in the Midwest sort of fall into that bucket. Mm -hmm. And quite frankly, I think CMU Tepper is in the Midwest, even though it's got a Pennsylvania address. Yeah, that is that. Yeah, I think technically, according to the way that the Career um, Services Organization categorizes schools, I think they fall in Mid-Atlantic, right? But it's like yeah. very interesting that Wharton and Tepper are in the same region, even though they're pretty far apart. But in any event, um, so that's the regional stuff. Uh, the industry placements, consulting, thirty-four uh, percent, tech, twenty-eight percent, finance, thirteen percent. Healthcare, 10%, which includes biotech, and then manufacturing, 6%. So again, really good balance across. And, you know, I think of Tepper as being strong in technology engineering because of the, you know, really well-known engineering school, but also finance. You know, they have a a pretty famous kind of, uh, what is it, computational finance department. And I mean, they, they do a lot of interesting things in finance. So they seem to be, you know, firing all cylinders and sending people into all these different industries, which is great. Yeah. You, that finance number was quite low relatively, wasn't it? It's 13%. Yeah. 13%. Yeah. And, and, um, healthcare biotech 10%. So almost that healthcare biotech is almost, um, sort of leapfrogging finance, but certainly on the finance side, it is going to be highly technical, computational finance and and stuff like that. I mean, I I think TEP is a great school, quite frankly. Yeah. Um, And it sits, it's just outside what I, as I would qualify them, sits just outside that top 16 in terms of the next tier. But I've always thought it sits at the top of that tier. Yeah. And it's a school that um, way back when, I, I think it was the Wall Street Journal used to do 
a kind of ranking where they they mostly talk to employers to find out what they thought in terms of the graduates' skill sets. Um, I remember reading something about how the Tepper grads got really high marks. So they must be teaching them really, you know, a really good curriculum and, and great education. So um, at least in terms of what employers want. So yeah. that, that's always a good thing. Um, a couple of very minor things. We, we got some cool emails Let's see. We got a note from a guy that um, we featured last week. I don't know if you remember the chemical engineer that we talked about. You probably would because you love <laughs> chemical engineers. Yes, yes. So in, in any event, um, this this guy wrote to us and said, you know, my apply wire post was discussed in the podcast episode last week, and I wanted to say thank you for your insights. I have to admit, I wasn't expecting to be featured. So when the first candidate school list was being read, my first thought the thought that was going through my head was they've got great taste in schools. Um, so, <laughs> so in any event, um, the, the person also went on to say that, um, he, he says, I don't have a lot of exposure to peers or mentors with MBAs in my current work. And I feel like your podcast has been a great resource for me to learn more about the degree and individual programs. So thank you again. Um, and you know, he then goes on and asks us some questions, which I'm going to email him back. In fact, I bet by the time this episode airs, he will have some responses because he asked some, you know, follow-up questions about his profile. But then again, he just mentioned as he closed his email, he said, I love the podcast and I've been listening to it for a little while and I've averaged around 10 episodes a week. So I'll be all caught up in no time. <laughs> Thanks again for everything. So I really appreciate, um, that listener reaching out always, um, it just, great to, to hear that stuff from our, from our audience. Um, Alex, the other note we got, and this, the only reason I'm mentioning this one is because I think there's a really valuable lesson admissions wise in here. And that is that this person who applied in round one and who I'd kind of forgotten about, we'd had a very brief kind of email exchange, but I don't know if you recall, but it's a person who they applied to a school that they were really hoping to attend. And they, they put the wrong name in one of their essays, you know, so they meant to say school A and instead they had left maybe the wrong school B name in, in the essay. And so they wrote me in a panic after they'd applied in round one and said, what do I do? Should I call them up and apologize? You know, what's the next move? And I was, you know, pretty adamant that no, this doesn't um, really merit that. And, you know, admissions officers are busy. And so it's one thing to call and say, you know, gee, you know, my salary wasn't right. Or I, you know, I have a new job that I didn't put on the form or, you know, something big, but a, a, a typo, I was like, wow, A, you're going to call their attention to the typo. Um, potentially, um, but B, they just don't, it, it, there's no, it's sort of not really a good use of their time and it could suggest poor judgment. So this person wrote back and said, you know, hey, it's been a while since you sent me advice about whether to reach out and apologize about mentioning the incorrect program in one of my essays at a top 15 school. I just thought I'd reach back out to you and let you know that I decided to heed your advice. Shortly after your email, I received an interview invite and a subsequent admit. In case this ever comes up again when talking to someone about this, perhaps this anecdotal experience will help. So there you have it, Alex. If you make a mistake with a school name, probably not worth writing back to the school because this person even got in. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, it, it, I, I can see how that does cause a lo lot of anxiety. Um, but at the end of the day, we're all human. We all make very little mistakes. Obviously, as a, as a admissions reader, um, I, I might certainly notice that um, inconsistency. 
But, you know, I don't think that that's necessarily such a damning indictment. I know that you're applying to multiple schools yeah, and so on and so forth. So, yeah, I mean, I think it, it, it's good advice. But again, this is very anecdotal, Graham. So, so you know, there might be other scenarios where it actually did make sense to, to go back and say, look, I've, I've made an error here in, and, and I just wanted to alert you to it. But then the other argument to that is, they might not have noticed the error. And by you sick telegraphing it to them, then <laughs> right, they right. obviously notice it, right? So in, in marketing, we call that the Streisand effect. Yeah. And I, I won't go into detail of, of what that's all about, but you, it, there's a Wikipedia entry to look at the Streisand effect. But Oh, I know this one, yes. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I love that story, by the way. Yeah, right. it's uh, yeah. I listened to a podcast the other day, actually, that mentioned that um, in the context of um, Loretta Lynn, the country singer, had a song about birth control that caused a huge fuss. And yeah, um, in any event, um, yeah, sometimes you don't want to call attention to things because it just makes more people aware. <laughs> exactly, it's like Khloe Kardashian wants to try to get a, a, a photograph taken off the internet that she doesn't approve of herself. Well, <laughs> now of course we all want to know what that photograph yeah, is, so exactly. we all know what it is because you can go to Google. Google images. So anyway, yeah. the point being, um, I'm super happy it worked out for this candidate in this case. It is very anecdotal, but yeah. super happy for the candidate. Yeah. And I stand by the advice. Like I just yeah, think, yeah. you know, but yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. obviously if you have anecdotes or questions or comments for Alex or myself, you can send an email to info at clearadmit.com. Use the subject line wiretaps so that we see it. And uh, we'll try to write you back or at least talk about you on the show. Uh, so, Alex, should we move into the wiretaps portion? Because I know that you picked out some really interesting candidates this week, as you always do. Um, but I'm excited to talk about a couple of them in particular. It's going to be interesting. I thought you were going to ask me about my nerdle exploits with your son. Oh, you well, you, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's like your favorite pastime now is playing nerdle, which I don't even know if everyone knows about. Has it caught on the way Wordle has? I feel like it's maybe a lesser known thing. I, I don't think it has caught on, but the fact that <laughs> I'm getting beaten by a 12-year-old is not a great um, um, sort of, you know, acknowledgement of my, my skills, but I still really enjoy it, I have to say. Yeah, it's fun. It's basically, for those who have never heard of it, it's like Wordle, where you have to guess a word, but in this case, you have to guess a math equation. Yeah. Um, so lot, lots of fun. Uh, all right, but let's, um, <laughs> let's move into the candidates and, you know, all these people that you picked out this week. Um, yeah, let's do it. Yeah. This is going to be Wiretaps Candidate number one. So first up this week, we've got an apply wire entry. This person uh, looks like is going to be applying in the fall to start in the following fall. Um, and they have 10 schools on the target list. So it's a pretty long list for the time being. The schools are Berkeley, Cornell, Duke, MIT, Chicago, Foster, UCLA, USC, UT Austin, and UVA. And they say that they have five years of work experience, a couple years at a big four audit, and then three years in corporate finance in a top media company. And they say, think Disney or Fox or Warner Brothers, et cetera. They've been promoted twice at this media company. And post-MBA, they're thinking of um, heading into consulting, although they also mentioned maybe tech as a possibility. And the companies that they listed, which are really consulting companies, are all the usual suspects. So, you know, MBB, Deloitte, Ernst & Young, KPMG, so all the usual stuff there. The GMAT score is a 730. They have a 3.32, and again, five years of work experience. They're located in LA, and they would like to stay out there. They're 29 years old, and they mentioned they're male, straight, US citizen, and white. 
So um, pretty <laughs> kind of overrepresented, I guess we could say, um, overall. We'll get into some of the details, but they did a BS in accounting and a BS in psych from a top 100 US public school. They also have a CPA. Um, Alex, what do you make of this candidate and you know their odds are, you know, like right now they're putting together a school list. They still have 10, you know, 10 schools on the list, but in light of what they want to do, you know, strategy consulting in the short term, they do mention CFO in a small company in the long term, and they want to land in LA. So what, what do you kind of think about this? Yeah, I think there's some aspects of this candidacy are very, very positive, right? So 730 GMAT, that's right on the median of all the very top programs. That's very good. I actually quite like their experience in, in as much as, yeah, auditing to begin with, that probably doesn't just jump off the page. But then corporate finance um, with in media and entertainment, that always seems to sort of resonate well with Adcom. Um, the sort of media and entertainment aspect to it. Um, I think they can show good progression at work. Um, I think they suggested that um, and so on and so forth. So if their work is substantial as, as it seems to be, I think that's very, very positive. Yeah. They're extracurriculars, they're treasurer um, on a board and so on and so forth. So, so they check that box. Frankly, in all that regard, Graham, I think there's a lot to like. I don't get overstressed about a white guy from America necessarily being overrepresented. I still think that they are um, heavily sought, so I think that's fine. They want to be in L.A. They want to remain on the West Coast in the long run, so that should help them in, in terms of school selection. As we know, looking at schools, ge geography, and in some content we're going to be releasing um, quite shortly now, I think, it really behooves them, I think, to, to be in a program on the West Coast to maximize what they want to do. Um, so, you know, basically Stanford, Berkeley and Anderson and Marshall would, would sort of shine through there. And yeah, to be honest, Graham, I think there's a lot to like to sort of wrap things up. They're worried about their GPA. It's a 3-3. They explain that they basically were immature early in their academics. Um, so I would assume we can see a nice upward progression with that GPA. Mm -hmm. I want to throw it back to you. Is this GPA a problem in your mind? Can they overcome it? And what do you think of the rest of this profile? Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, obviously the GPA is below average at the very, you know, top schools on their list. And, and I, I think it's not, it's not the end of the world. It's a GPA that'll keep them in the running, obviously. I think you know, they mentioned they went to a top 100 public school. So that means, you know, it could be sort of top 200 overall if you start to include private institutions. And so it may not be a great school. Hard to know, right. you know, from that. But you know, as you like to point out, when someone says top 100, it means somewhere between 90 and 100 probably. <laughs> yeah. uh, so that that could be a factor. But, you know, they have, a, I think they're a CPA and yeah. they've had a really interesting set of work experiences in the sense that instead of just sticking with kind of the audit which you see a lot of candidates who are kind of still in that role, they've actually moved on to a, you know, a kind of corporate finance role and, and it's in media and entertainment. The thing that for me that was missing is I was like, okay, this person's in LA, they're doing a media and entertainment finance. And I was hoping that the storyline would be, 
I, you know, I've done the numbers. I'm really good at it. I, I really like meat and entertainment. I want to pivot into strategy consulting in the near term. In particular, BCG and, and PwC have great meat and entertainment practices. And I want to help, you know, stay in this industry and but solve strategic problems. And then ultimately, um, you know, return to industry and maybe at a CFO level. But they're not saying that. I'm not seeing much of a storyline that's kind of industry specific. Right. They just sort of speak to wanting to do consulting to kind of learn more and, you know, sort of test their toolkit that they're going to pick up in business school and then become a CFO of a small entity. But they didn't say that there's an industry that they're interested in. And so that's the only piece that was kind of missing for me. And and I agree with you. They got to think carefully about school selection. Uh, you know, maybe Foster makes the list too, being a West Coast, you know, option as well. But I, I want to caution them, you know, it's a sort of the struggle in that, if they were to say, you know what, I really want to go work in finance at Netflix or something, then I would say, okay, go all in West Coast schools, media and entertainment, you know, specialties, whatever. But because they want to do strategy consulting and, and maybe do sort of other stuff, it's it's a little harder to decide. And they have a number of East Coast schools on their list too. So it's it's a little tricky. I Obviously, they're going to need to whittle this list down to like six schools instead of 10. So I don't know what, like, if they, let's say they apply to all the West Coast schools, are there any non-West Coast schools that jump out at you? Well, I mean, frankly, if, if they tie everything together, I don't see why they don't take a couple of big shots like Wharton um, and, 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 and so forth, which can clearly place people on the West Coast. Um, yeah, so, that's true. So, so, yeah, why not, right? So they, they should certainly get you know, half a dozen schools ready for round one next season. They don't have to necessarily do anything else. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, they have the test score done, they've, they, whatever. So they should be able to front load that round one a little bit. Yeah. Then see where their chips fall for, for, for sort of reactive strategy in round two if they need to. But yeah, I'd throw Wharton in there. Um, we know that in terms of pure numbers, Harvard sends a lot of folks to the West Coast. Mm -hmm. um, so, so, so that might be a possibility too. Um, I, I, I think what, what you're saying without saying it directly is that if media and entertainment was part of their goal narrative, that would be super helpful. Yeah, I think that'd be interesting. The other thing I was going to say is, wow, if they apply to, you know, let's say they apply to four schools on the West Coast, which include USC, UCLA, Berkeley, maybe Stanford or maybe Foster, right? Yeah. Um, and then maybe they take a flyer on a Wharton, which does send whatever it is, 25% or so of the class out West. Yeah. They have a West Coast campus um, in San Francisco. And then the other one that came to my mind when I thought, wow, they really want to do strategy consulting, but they also would like to land on the West Coast was Kellogg because Kellogg sends a lot of people to the West Coast. So yeah. just some things to consider. I mean, they have a lot of schools on the list and interestingly enough, Enough, Wharton and Kellogg are not on the current list, so they may want to just do some more digging. I think they have the numbers to probably get by. I just yeah. feel like they might need to, you know, have a make sure they work on a compelling story and all that stuff. But interesting candidate. Yeah, very good, very good. All right, so let's move on and talk about Wiretap's candidate number two. So this is another ApplyWire entry, and again, it's for someone who's not going to be applying until next year. They've got seven schools on their target list, and those schools are Berkeley, Harvard, Michigan, MIT, Kellogg, Stanford, and Wharton. They've been working uh, for the government in a civil engineering role, and they would love to get into consulting after business school, and they've got Bain, BCG, McKinsey, Ernst & Young, and Accenture on their list. GMAT score 720. 
GPA 3.45, let's be generous and just call it a 3.5. Uh, four years of work experience to date. They're located in Texas, and they say that they want to land in the Bay Area or Pittsburgh or Michigan. Um, so that's kind of the target um, regions. They did mention to us that um, they've been listening for a few months to the podcast and that they started from the first episode and are working their way through. Um, that's scary to me just because we, you know, we, we weren't as good at this at the beginning. <laughs> um, I don't even know how good we are now, Alex, but I mean, you know. <laughs> have, have we shown progression? Yeah, I don't know. We'll have to see. Yeah, someone will have to assess our candidacy for podcast hosts. <laughs> um, but the other thing that they did say, which I thought was really nice to hear, is they mentioned that as someone who knows no one doing an MBA and they're from, you know, and who's from a non-traditional background, this podcast is absolutely amazing and it's free. So they, they were really happy about that. And I'm, I'm happy to hear that. Obviously, I'm sure you are too. The other last thing I want to mention is that after the consulting kind of short-term post-MBA goal, they indicate that they want to work in what they refer to as the future of mobility industry. So companies like Waymo, Cruise, Zooks, Neuro, and this is kind of, um, I guess, self-driving vehicles and all that stuff, right? And then they also mentioned their first-gen low-income uh, family immigrant and that they're LGBTQ. So what's your take on this candidacy? Yeah, I mean, I think there's a lot to like here too, Graham. I mean, their, their numbers are fine. Well, 720 GMAT's still very good. 345, they're an engineer, I think, as an undergrad. Um, what, what do we say, civil engineering? Um, so, I mean, I think, I think there's, there's a lot to like here. The other thing that I like about this candidate is this whole notion of they're not just surrounded by MBAs. They're, they're on a bit of a different track, a different path, uh, which is quite typical of engineers, actually. So that, that means a couple of things. One is they can probably bring some different types of experiences to the conversations in the classroom. If they're, if they're somewhat unique in that regard. So I, I like that. Yeah. That just like an, a more traditional MBA, they're going to have to show impact at work, growth at work, and evolution, um, and, and so on and so forth. So, so, that, so that won't go away. But having a different set of experiences, I think, is very good. I think that they're, they're reasonably well-rounded, um, so, so that's good. Um, they're a board member for Engineers Without Borders, so they're doing some interesting things with their um, extracurriculars, even though that's been disrupted a little bit. Um, but they've had some, I think, some quite, or they articulated some quite interesting leadership um, experiences they've been able to have at work. Um, so, so, so that was very good, um, because oftentimes engineers don't really have as much opportunity to sort of get uh, more broadly involved in their work, um, but they've na they've navigated that, I think, very well. Yeah. This other idea that they're first gen from a low-income background, what, what that can do is show how far you've come, right? So your trajectory um, in that regard. So it wasn't like, you know, plenty of MBA candidates, great candidates, they might have gone to, you know, Harvard, Yale, Princeton, or whatever, as undergrads and, and recruited into some of the top positions and done very well and so forth. Clearly, someone that's a first-gen low-income hasn't had those opportunities, yet I imagine they've been able to come very far. So I think that's a feather in their cap too. Um, so, so, yeah, quite honestly, Graham, I think there's a lot to like here. Um, there's a bit of a downside in as much as if you're not surrounded by MBAs, just make sure you do get the right guidance through the admissions process. But it's looking like they're 
they're navigating that quite well. They stumbled across us and hopefully they've identified some other resources and so on and so forth. Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm very favorable with this candidate, Graham. Yeah, I agree. There's a lot to like. I think, yeah. you know, I'm, I'm kind of, uh, the, the sort of future of mobility industry is a, an interesting one and they have that focus. So I like that. You know, I think it's a, a, a great um, kind of piece to have in your candidacy that helps you to stand out. Yeah. I, I agree. They also were, they were asking a lot about, you know, am I government or am I an engineer in terms of how the committee's going to look at their candidacy? And I think they're both and that's fine. That's just, a, as you said, kind of interesting voice in the classroom. So a lot to like here. Yeah. I, I feel like, you know, like you said, they seem to be sort of taking the DIY approach in terms of figuring out the whole admissions process and listening to this podcast. Obviously, if they're going to slog their way through all the episodes we've recorded, that'll help, I would think. I think they could also read the book that you wrote, um, that Becoming a Clear Admit book, which I I think is excellent and is, you know, short and an easy read and and I believe free on our website if you register um, to to be a site user. So, yeah, so they, I, I feel like they're on the right path for sure. And I, the numbers don't jump off the page at me no. in terms of, but they're competitive. And I think given the rest and all the feathers in their cap they have with work and even just with their personal background, I think they're going to do well. That's my sense. Yeah. I mean, I think your, your point's well taken in terms of the numbers don't jump off the page, but the numbers don't dismiss the candidate either. Right. So it's going to be important for the candidate to use those essays to really show that impact and that growth and so forth in a less traditional setting, et cetera, to show that they're essentially really going to be able to contribute a lot to the class totally, um, and, and so forth. Um, I mean, yeah, they're targeting top programs. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so there's no if, and, or buts. They're shooting very high. Um, but I think there's some raw material here to suggest that they should be. Um, they might want to seek out one or two more of the sort of top 16 level to sort of make sure that they've they've sort of covered all their bases because they've certainly, you know, they've got Danford, Harvard and Wharton, so top three. Then they've got Sloan and... Yeah. Yep. And I think, you know, uh, obviously they can take a round one, round two sort of approach as well, see where the chips fall on some of these schools yes. and then readjust. Yeah, it, it, they can, but it does beg the question where they emigrated from. Yes. Right? <laughs> because if they're an immigrant, low, low-income immigrant, that's, again, that shows that they've come far. I, I really do like that. But if they've come from a... a, a a a geography that is very well represented initially in the app populations, it would then make it a little bit more important to target that first round. Yeah, that's a good point. Um, So so that they're not sort of shut out by other folks that have a similar geographic profile, not necessarily similar personal profile, but from the same sort of region, sort of um, reducing the spaces for that geography or something like that. You you kind of get what I'm saying. If, If... 
you know, they came from, um, you know, sort of South America, Central America, whatever, then, yeah, the, the discussion would be a little bit different. Yeah, so it'd be good to know where they're from. Yeah. Yeah, agree. Um, anyway, I want to wish them the best of luck. Thanks for, you know, the, the, the thanks to them for posting and, and all that, and they can keep us updated via the apply wire entry if they have other questions. But yeah, really appreciate that. Let's move on, though, and talk about wiretaps candidate number three. So this is a decision wire entry. Again, it's an undecided candidate. They are going to start school this fall, and they applied to Columbia, Michigan, NYU, and UCLA. And they applied to those schools with a 690 and a 36, you know, kind of GMAT GPA combo. They ended up getting in to Michigan, Stern, and UCLA. So I take it they were just rejected at Columbia. And they want to work in brand management post-MBA. They currently live in New York and would like to stay, but they're saying it's hard to pass up a scholarship that they received at UCLA, which is a $70,000 scholarship. It turns out that Ross and Stern, who are the other two schools that offered them admission, didn't give them any money. So it's sort of UCLA with 70K or Stern or Michigan, and there was a lot of discussion on the website, or at least a couple of comments. I know Elliot, our um, colleague, chimed in and there was a, one of the you know site contributors, just a, a community member, um, offered some advice as well. But Alex, what would you do? You want to work in brand management, you want to be in New York, it sounds like in the long term, and you've got these offers, Michigan, Stern, UCLA, but UCLA is giving you $70,000. Yeah, I mean, they say currently live in New York and would like to stay in New York. So if you'd like to stay in New York, you've got to pick Stern because if you go to Anderson, you're obviously not staying in New York. But that's <laughs> obviously a literal interpretation of what was written. But yeah, I mean, quite frankly, I think it would be, take a lot to lure this candidate away from Stern. I think Stern will do a great job for their goals. They obviously want to be in New York in the long run. Stern has a network second to none in that region which is not surprising because that's where they are. I can understand a nice hit in the pocket for 70 grand, go to Anderson. That would work if you wanted to go away for a couple of years for a very different experience and then come back to New York, if you had value in having that different experience. And if you also had already a pretty well-established network in New York that you would plan to rely on um, at some points into the future. Because I don't think your Anderson network is going to be that great in New York. And relative to a Stern network in New York, yeah, it's, it's, it would be a different deal, I think. I was going to say it's funny because on the website, there seemed to be some, uh, you know, the advice was pushing towards Anderson. You know, the folks that commented were kind of like, oh, well, you know, take the money, go to Anderson, great school, et cetera. Yeah. And I'm hearing you kind of playing devil's advocate and saying, well, you know, maybe you just stay and go to Stern. You want to be in New York, et cetera. I'm going to um, take the other argument <laughs> and make the case just for fun here for Ross. And the reason I say that is because they want to work in brand management, which, you know, might presumably be with a CPG. And when you look at the numbers, Ross places almost 8% of their candidates in CPG, which leads the way. Um, Anderson, 7.5%, Stern, 2.4%. So I was thinking, wow, you know, go maybe go to Ross. It's a higher ranked program than UCLA traditionally. It's good for CPG. And it's good at placing people back in New York City. I once went to an alumni event for Ross in New York and was overwhelmed with the number of people that showed up. So they, they have a strong network in New York. 
and uh, you know they do send a lot of people as we pointed out in a past podcast um, back east as well as west um, but they you know like you were saying earlier on this very episode because they're not in a market where all the jobs necessarily are they're good at sending people everywhere yeah um, so that comes to mind and then the other thing was just cost of living you know that okay you get the 70k and you go out to LA but you're gonna pay a lot in cost of living two years in LA or in New York Whereas in Ann Arbor, that's not going to be at all the same. So I was just thinking it through along those lines. Again, this person can't go wrong. These are three top schools. I guess you could argue Stern tends to rank more highly than Ross, which tends to rank more highly than um, UCLA Anderson. So it is an interesting quandary. I mean, I, I would really dig into the career goal and, and where they want to be because not all these brand management jobs are in New York necessarily either. Right. No, absolutely. I, I, again, it's no surprise that you know we have candidates that are undecided because all these programs are very good. Right. <laughs> Each offers something slightly different. And yeah, Stern is the absolute best choice for me. <laughs> yeah, it's a, yeah, this is a tricky one. Um, but yeah, hopefully they'll do their due diligence, go to the admitted students events and, and get a feel for these communities too. I will say, I think it's easy to be swayed by the money when in the very short term, you know, yeah. and I, I feel like, you know, just think about it 20 years from now, you know, when you will have paid off your, your loans relatively quickly and, and, you know, think about that network and everything that you're going to be able to tap into. Yeah. So, um, Alex, thanks for picking these out. I want to thank that person for sharing their dilemma with us. Um, it's always fun to discuss these and yeah, well, I guess we'll be back in one week's time to do it all again, Alex. And yeah, again, thanks for all your help on this. No, brilliant. Stay safe, everyone. Good luck.